Now, today is International Youth Day. However, millions of young people in South Africa are challenged by both unemployment and poverty. The ailing economy and the rising cost of living continues to be a major concern. Some, some experts are warning the country is at risk of becoming a failed state. The latest crime stats paint a grim picture. The backdrop is a continuing theme of corruption, enrolling blackouts, water shortages, a shaky healthcare system, well, and myriad other state failures. Others say system. this is the cost so, of corruption and negligent leadership. Dr. Peter Grunewald is the current leader and co-founder of the Freiheitsfront Plus. He has served in various positions in the party from 1994, but began his leadership tenure in the party in 2016. During his time as leader of the party, it shifted away from being concerned with only Afrikaner rights to a broader focus on minority rights in the, con in the country, but still maintaining its focus on Afrikaans' minority rights. This strategy seemed to have worked, as the VF Plus received its biggest vote share in its history in the 2019 national elections, securing 10 seats in the National Assembly. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Grunewald today about his party's policy plan for the 2024 elections. Hello, Dr. Grunewald, how are you doing? Hi, Gabriel, fine and yourself. I'm doing very well, thank you. So, where did you grow up, Dr. Grunewald? Well, I actually grew up uh, on a farm, it is in the northwest uh, 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 province in South Africa. It's about 190 kilometers uh, southwest uh, from uh, Johannesburg. So to give a more location of that, it's close to Potchefstroom. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to school, uh, primary school. Uh, we had a small farm school. Mm -hmm. uh, and just outside of Potchefstroom, it's about 20 kilometers outside and uh, went to a high school in Potchefstroom, a well-known gymnasium high school, and then I went to the university uh, in Potchefstroom. At that stage, it was still the Potchefstroom University for Christian higher education. So that's my background as far as that is growing up. And when did your interest in politics start? Well, it actually started around about 1982. And at that stage, we must remember that in the 70s, 1977, the government started with new, uh, like they called it, a constitutional uh, amendments they wanted to, to create. It uh, actually started with the three chambers in Parliament. That actually uh, caught my attention. And I said from the start, uh, yes, you can bring in the coloreds and the Indians, because that was what those proposals were about, and the three-chamber parliament. But in the end, what happens with the black people in South Africa? And that's where I started uh, my interest in politics. So in 1982, uh, then I actually entered active politics in this sense that I became a member of a branch. And. Um to skip forward a few years, can you briefly take me through the history of uh, the VF Plus, starting uh, at its formation in 1994 and then going through the change from the Freedom Front to Freedom Front Plus and ending with the changes that you made during your time as leader? Okay, firstly, 
you must remember that the first time I was elected to Parliament was in 1989. I was then a member uh, of Parliament. Then the new dispensation started. And we were a few members of Parliament at that stage that said we, we must participate in the election of 1994. Mm. Uh, the party, the Conservative Party at that stage, differed with us. And we said, well, we're going to continue participating. And that's actually, it was literally about a month before the election where the Freedom Front was then actually formed mm. and we participated uh, in the election. We then, after the election, uh, we started to write our final constitution uh, at that stage, uh, around about 96. We participated also in the writing of the constitution of South Africa, the final 1996 constitution. Then, uh, when the 2004 election came, then there were two other parties, the old Conservative Party mm -hmm. and the Federal Alliance of Louis Late at that stage. Now, Louis Late participated in 1999 and he was then uh, elected. But then, to the run up to the 2004 election, we said that we must combine mm -hmm. the political parties. And that's where the Freedom Front Plus was then formed because it was the Freedom Front uh, that was there plus the Federal Alliance of Blue Light plus the Conservative Party mm. and that's where the plus comes in. If you ask me when I became the leader, you must remember that I was the chair of the party in 2011 when I was elected the uh, national chair of the Freedom Front Plus. Mm. Now, in 2012, we changed our constitution in this sense that we provided also for self-determination for other minority groups. Originally, it was actually for the Afrikaner. We focused completely on the Afrikaner. We then realized that we had to take hands with other minority groups in South Africa. And therefore, we changed it. But still with the Afrikaner as well mm. to ensure self-determination. So when I was elected in the end of 2016 and with the run-up of the 2019 election, then uh, I decided to get some people from the colored community. And that's where Peter Murray played a role. Mm. And we must remember his background, he was a premier of the Western Cape. Mm. a well-known politician, uh, maybe sometimes a bit controversial, but the fact of the matter is that he then said he wants to join the Freedom Front Plus. Mm. And I welcomed him, and that's where we then started to make breakthroughs in, for instance, a minority group of the colored people in South Africa. So you've mentioned one of the core beliefs of the uh, VF Plus, which is uh, minority group self-determination, but what are the other core beliefs of the VF Plus? Well, the core values, and I call, the, uh, call it conservative norms and standards and values like integrity. We say we need integrity in politics. We also have our Christian values, 
you must remember the first founding principle of the Freedom Front Plus is that we recognize Jesus. Mm. So the Christian uh, basis for the party. Other values, for instance, is that we say that we must ensure that we obtain the best uh, in this sense that I must unfortunately say that we became a medio courtesy sort of government that only the average is good enough. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to strive for excellence. It's a value mm -hmm. to strive for excellence. Uh, part of the integrity is also honesty. And we say that if you have those sort of basic principles, mm -hmm. then you will have a better government. You will have mutual respect for each other, uh, although we have differences. And part of, and that's actually also part of self-determination, mm. our language is a very strong uh, uh, value for the Freedom Front Plus in the sense that we have to protect it. Mm. Our cultural differences, we must protect that. So those are a few uh, principles and values that we believe in uh, to say that the Freedom Front Plus is a political party that believes in self-determination, which actually means also the protection of minority groups and the differences in culture, even language. We don't say only Afrikaans, but that's why we also have a good connection with the colored community because there are more coloreds in South Africa speaking Afrikaans than white people, for instance. Mm. Uh, so those are the values. Uh, and we always say, if you go and look at, uh, uh, for instance, Professor Samuel Huntington, he said that minority groups must be protected against the tyranny of the majority. And that's exactly what we strive to do in South Africa. And so how does this translate into the policy agenda of the VF Plus, as in what are the most important <laughs> national issues that the VF Plus is focusing on for the next election? Well, the most important issue is that we have to ensure that uh, we create jobs. Therefore, we strongly believe in the free market principles uh, because unemployment in South Africa is very high that have other negative effects like crime and everything. And I then can say the, the second one is actually corruption. Uh, and safety, uh, if I can mention three uh, issues that is most important. Corruption, for instance, I'm coming back to our principles and the values. If you have integrity and you have integrity in your government departments, then you won't have the corruption. Uh, and of course, the safety situation in South Africa is also uh, a huge problem. Uh, and the reason for that is that, and I said it to the president, that the problem is that the criminal justice system in South Africa is failing the people. And impunity became the norm in South Africa. And example is, for instance, if you look at all the corruption taking place, people uh, are actually accused, but nothing happens. Mm. If you go to the criminal justice system, 
the statistics in South Africa is that only 18.18% of criminal cases ends up in court. That means that a criminal has got an 80% chance of getting away with crime. I served on the police portfolio committee since 1989. So I have all those statistics, but that is actually the, can I say, the frightening situation when it comes to the criminal justice system in South Africa. I'll, um, I think we'll come back to these, is these issues when we talk about um, your plan for 2024 and ongoing, but before we get there, I just uh, want to backtrack a little bit to what you talked about with self-determination. Um, so what do you exactly mean, first of all, by self-determination? What does that entail in your... Well, we believe in modern self-determination, firstly. We don't want to go back to apartheid. Nobody wants to go back to apartheid. But good examples, for instance, uh, if you look in Canada, for instance, you take the province of Quebec. Uh, Quebec is a good example of what self-determination is. In this sense that, I mean, their language, uh, in that specific like French, uh, mm. and the protection they have on that. If you go, for instance, to Great Britain, uh, the Scottish people want self-determination. They already had two referendums. Uh, they're trying for the third one. I think they're going to win it. Uh, even if you go to Africa, if you go to Sudan, the solution was a North and a South Sudan. If you go, for instance, to uh, Ethiopia, uh, in the 70s, there was a civil war where more than 100,000 people actually died in the war. Mm. In the end, self-determination accumulated into Eritrea, which became an independent state, and Ethiopia. And there was peace for quite a long time. And that's what we see from self-determination. If you come back to South Africa, the Freedom Front Plus say, well, if you listen to the government, they have a problem with the Afrikaner. Everything is uh, blamed on the Afrikaner. Mm. Uh, affirmative action, black economic empowerment is excluding white people uh, to participate uh, to their fullest potential in the economy. Mm. Now we say, what we mean by self-determination, if you have a problem, give us, and to put it in simple terms, give us a tenth province. But in that province, you must give us certain powers. And I take uh, the United States of America as an example. Mm. You have 50 states. Uh, in California, for instance, they still have the death penalty. But if you go to the state of New York, they don't believe in the death penalty. So the state or the province has certain powers. And that's what we strive for in South Africa. And you must remember, we were actually the initiators to ensure Section 235 in the Constitution of South Africa. Now, Constitution and Section 235 provides for self-determination, mm -hmm. but it also determines that national legislation must be compiled to give effect of Section 235. We don't have that piece of legislation. And that is what we will have as Freedom Front Plus at this moment uh, to ensure that we get that legislation. So is it, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's 
in the South African case, one of the kind of best ways that we might get self-determination is by empowering the federal system that we already have in place more. So devolve powers away from the national government to the, the state, uh, to the provinces. Um, and in that way we might uh, have, you know, the Northwest Cape and the Western Cape, who have different, maybe different beliefs, being able to pursue better their beliefs. Is that something that you would agree with? Precisely. In this, uh, uh, to, to use the example, I always say that self-determination, we must remember, is a process. Hmm. It's not a final product that you can buy from a shop. It's a process. And self-determination, the end result, is through federalism. Hmm. That means the devolving of powers to provinces. Like, for instance, and maybe we can talk on that uh, further on, uh, like system, for instance, mm. uh, where we say that they must have certain powers. Uh, if you go to the tax uh, situation, we should get to a certain situation where a province, the taxes collected in that specific uh, province, a huge percentage of that should be spent in that specific uh, uh, province. Yeah. It shouldn't be given to the national government to spend. So that's only a few examples I've mentioned, but you're quite right. It is through federalism and the, uh, the, the, the powers to govern in that specific province mm. is that we want more and more devolution of power. And um, <clears throat> I do have to ask though, how does uh, the devolution of power, moderate self-determination, help all South Africans, not just protect minority groups? Well, firstly, uh, if I take the example of tax again, mm. I didn't say that all the taxes of a specific province uh, should be kept in that province. So the national government will gain from that profit. But, for instance, say the Afrikaner has a specific province <clears throat> and they govern there. Firstly, we believe in free market system. Mm. We don't believe in affirmative action. We don't believe in black economic empowerment because we say that's detrimental to the economy of South Africa. Mm. So in that specific province, if you have those powers, we will do away with that. And we will be we believe that that will create a prosperous uh, economy. And of course, then the national government and all the people of South Africa will reap some of those fruits because there will be more taxes available for the national government, to put it in simple terms. And um, so you've actually, you've mentioned quite a few of the national prob problems that are seriously devastating the country and its citizens, um, particularly the poor and vulnerable who have, in my opinion, been almost completely let down um, after 30 years of ANC rule. And so I think one of the things you mentioned and where, where we can start um, is uh, you mentioned that you're pro-free markets and um, you're pro against uh, affirmative action uh, and anything that kind of limits um, and regulates maybe uh, the ability for employers to hire and fire who they like. And so, the and so that problem um, has been particularly uh, devastating for the youth of South Africa in this country because 
right now we see a situation in which there is incredibly few opportunities for the youth um, and for and what there is you have to fight tooth and nail and hope for the best that you might get something and so you've mentioned that the free market economy is where you'll go um, and how you would create and restart growth in the economy but how does this um, create more employment and more opportunity uh, in the country? Well firstly you've mentioned the youth you must remember that the unemployment rate in South Africa for the youth is about 60%. Now there are different reasons for that. Firstly I think the educational system is failing them. You get people, they go through the educational system and uh, uh, secondary school and everything, but they are just not up to standard, unfortunately. But now if you go and look at black economic empowerment and you look at affirmative action, those are the two instruments used by the government, actually misused by the government, to ensure corruption. Mm. And firstly, if you look at black economic empowerment, I say it's not black economic empowerment. It's nothing else than black elite enrichment. That is what it is. It's only a few people with the correct political connections that benefit from that. And then it is not a matter that they use it to create necessarily more jobs. The Freedom Front Plus has an alternative to that. We call it best. We say it must be black economic skills transfer that should take place in South Africa. Transfer the skills in the workplace also to black entrepreneurs so that they can understand that they have to create jobs. So therefore we say replace black economic or BEE with BEST best. Hmm. Affirmative action is also must use because you get now civil servants appointed in strategic positions which they just don't have the qualifications. It's as simple as that. And it's a reason for because they are only the puppets to ensure that corruption can take place. Hmm. So what is happening? The service delivery is just collapsing. And the place where it is actually, can I say, the most uh, disastrous is on local government level because that's where they deploy these people also in national departments but if you go to local government uh, level then you will see that service delivery is actually imploding mm -hmm. uh, so we say that that should be addressed and very very quickly and so with, with drastic steps we have to take to ensure that we do away because if you take away affirmative action and let me use a good example ESCOM the electricity supply in South Africa is a perfect example mm. I've asked a question in Parliament around about 2004 and asked how many white engineers and professionals left ESCOM because of affirmative action mm. the minister at that stage officially said more than 400. That was his figure. Now we're paying the price. ESCOM is collapsing because of affirmative action. They all admitted it now, but it's too late. The damage has been done. So 
just to give you an idea of the effect mm. of affirmative action, South Africa has very good qualified people, black, white, colored and Indians. Colors has, hasn't got to do with it. They are professionals. They are good people. Mm. And what South Africa now needs is that we need the best of the best to ensure that we have growth, that the economy can grow, and that we can fix South Africa. Mm. Uh, and that's all sectors. I mean, if you go to the economy, I don't even want to talk, if we can talk about the construction mafia. Uh, and that's where the, the security situation is coming in. We have to fix it, and the only way is do away with black economic empowerment, do away with affirmative action, fix the, justice, the criminal justice system, fix the educational system in South Africa. So you've talked um, about uh, the skills transfer um, as a means of upliftment and a, and a more positive means of upliftment than uh, BE and affirmative action, but um, <clears throat> how uh, would you go about fix fixing the education system on the lower levels because obviously the skills transfer is something that will happen at a much later level in a person's education but from when people move into public schools when they first start public schools the public education system is failing them so how is what is the bf classes plan to fix the schools from the bottom up let's say well if we take the educational system for instance mm. then we say that firstly we will have to go and look who are the teachers, uh, they will have to comply to certain standards. And part of that is the system itself to ensure that they are in the classes and that they educate the children. Because you get a situation, they just don't pitch up at school. Uh, thirdly, we also say that the principles must be scrutinized in this sense to ensure that they are really qualified to run a school. And of course, a very important issue is discipline. Hmm. We don't have proper discipline in our schools. I mean, just yesterday, the president, when he spoke to the union, the teachers union, he said, it's totally unacceptable that teachers are actually uh, victims of crime, where teachers are stabbed with knives, where they are actually sh shot by pupils, and vice versa, where scholars or children, for instance, where they are raped by their teachers. I mean, that is the, can I say, terrible situation in our educational system. So if you, it's only a few. But if you start with that, already you will create a situation and then, can I say, a conducive environment mm. to ensure that you have better education. And then we will have to go and look at our standards. Uh, it's, in, can I say, actually totally unacceptable that you can pass a grade, but you only have 30 or 35 percent. It's totally unacceptable. Uh, we will have to go back to basics. And um, I think though we are kind of talking around a big elephant in the room when it comes to education, you did invoke their name, but the South African Teachers Union um, has kind of a stranglehold on the education system in this country 
and how will you go about and what is your ideal plan to go about put implementing these changes without the interference of the teachers union well I mean it's not only in the educational uh, uh, departments I mean it's all over the government departments. so unions in South Africa is the problem and the the reason for that is that the unions in South Africa, USATO is part of the tribe alliance of the ANC. They're part of government. Mm. Government does not want to act against them because then they're going to lose voters. They will have to break with that. They will have and to ensure that the unions must understand, come back to the, uh, the educational department, you will just have to ensure that if a, a, a teacher, for instance, does not comply to standards, does not uh, do his or her job properly, and you want to take disciplinary actions, there must be correctional action mm. taken against that. And furthermore, that you have your governing bodies where the parent, parents are part of that, and they, the decisions they take to ensure who the principal is going to be, must be enforced. They must not be prescribed by the unions to say, now you will pick that one or this one and that one. Mm. Uh, that's the only way you will have to break it. It's not going to be easy. I think to use a good example, I think uh, if we go back to the, to the 80s with Thatcher and the unions in Britain is a good example. Uh, she had to break the unions. Mm. Uh, but that we also will have to do in South Africa or else we're not going to win. It's as simple as that. But the most important is that the unions shouldn't be part of government. I think we can, uh, we can both agree with that assessment there. Um, it does seem to give an incredibly perverse incentive to the ANC um, when it comes to trying to open up our economy. And I think we've seen a lot of the damage that's been done, um, especially recently. But. Um, <clears throat> To, to continue on uh, the topic of what are the kind of necessary aspects of economic growth, one of the, the last uh, section that I think you have addressed a little bit, you mentioned ESCOM, um, but uh, to undergird a functioning economy, we for sure need a reliable uh, and large-scale infrastructure provision. The war and in South Africa, I mean, the the situation is quite shocking. The water systems are under strain. I mean, there's watershedding in Johannesburg, one of our, our biggest metropolitan metro. We have load shedding, which is, I mean, a term so banal, which uh, dis to describe rolling blackouts across the country, um, which is just destroying small, micro, and medium enterprises. We have rural municipalities which have sewerage plants which are failing, we have roads which are crumbling, we, and so we need infrastructure, maintenance and development, which is something that the free market is not necessarily inclined to provide, and something that the national government needs to step in and provide. So how will the VF Plus tackle the issue of public service delivery generally, and to focus on a topic more specifically, electricity, national electricity provision? It's actually very simple, because what we will do is to ensure that the officials you appoint are qualified to do the job, firstly. So it's actually, again, doing away with affirmative action. Mm -hmm. 
I always use a simple example. If you're a business person, you've got a billions to invest, and you want to invest in South Africa to create jobs, then the government has an obligation to ensure that the circumstances are conducive for that investment. Mm. And that includes, firstly, they're going to look at power supply, electricity. Uh, they're going to look at the crime situation. They're going to look at the services in that specific area, as you have mentioned. And there's only one way to fix it, that the government of the day must ensure that you have qualified people. Let me give, and of course there should also be incentives. I was, for instance, the mayor of my town in Stilfontein in 1988 till 1989. Mm. What we did is to say there are certain industrial sites. We will give it for free. You can have it. If you want to invest and you want to put up a business or a factory or anything, we will give it to you for free. Mm. And we got some of those people but that was in the 80s, as I said. Yeah. But there must be certain incentives, tax incentives, to ensure that there is some relief for people who wants to invest. Those, it's small principle things, but that will create a conducive environment. But coming back to the officials, I mean, part of that is also corruption. Uh, if you want to establish a business, you first have to ensure that you bribe certain officials permission. That should be completely rooted out. Uh, I've mentioned the crime situation. I've mentioned the construction mafia. And we're going back to infrastructure. You want proper roads because you want to transport your products, for instance, if you produce something, and you must ensure that it is safe, that there's not a lot of potholes in it, and that your product at least will not be damaged when it reaches, for instance, uh, the end destination. Mm. For that you have to ensure that you have officials who can do the job. But the construction mafia, for instance, they're going around now. If you want to uh, build a bridge or whatever the case may be, then they want 30% of, uh, of your income. They want 30%. Or else they ensure that you are destabilized, and I've witnessed, witnessed it with my own eyes, where a road intersection was built, where they actually had to get guarded or armed guards to protect the workers to do their job. It's, as, it's, it's enormous. Yeah. Uh, people don't want to talk about it. I say it is time that the politicians also realize the truth. Mm. And it must be put on the table because you cannot deal with a problem if you are in a state of denial. And I said that to the president. The, the biggest threat to any country is if your president is in a state of denial, not recognizing all these, and I actually want to call it atrocities. Mm. It's as simple as that. So you, I think you segued actually quite nicely into the next problem that I wanted to talk about, to move away although they are coupled and, as you mentioned, they go hand in hand. But I want to talk about the, uh, the one industry that has really been booming in this country um, since Jacob Zuma ascended into power, which is the criminal industry. Um, and I want to talk about this in two separate sections, um, which is inside of crime inside the government, as you mentioned, corruption and um, everything that that entails, and then outside of the government, um, 
which the construction mafia is something that you mentioned, but we have everything, criminal industries ranging from the drug trade, the illicit drug trade, the illicit rhino horn trade, shark fin trade, we have um, mass kidnappings happening now, we have, we've just taken over Mexico in terms of our murder statistics, we're one of the rape capitals of the world, um, and all of these aspects make it more and more difficult to justify living in this country, let alone to justify trying to build anything in this country of value. Um, and so we'll start with the question, what is the way we deal with the issue of crime outside of the government in this country? So we're talking not with corruption, but we're just talking about the, the rapes, the murders, the theft, the, the protection rackets, everything to do with that. What we must do is we have to fix the criminal justice system. And when I say that, there are actually three departments, the police, correctional services and the justice department. We must ensure that criminals are punished. I've mentioned impunity is a problem in South Africa. And then, if I can start, for instance, at the, with the police. When did the problem start? The problem started in 2000, mm. when Tabo appointed Jackie Salebi as the commissioner of police. Now, the commissioner of police must be a, can I say, experienced uh, police person. We must have gone through the ranks in the police to understand police. Jackie Salebi was a diplomat. He had no police experience, but he is the commissioner of police. After him came uh, the present minister, Bekitsele. He was a politician in KZN. Then he became the commissioner for police. After him, he was actually, and if I take both of them, uh, Jackie Slebe ended up in jail. Bekitsele was removed because of tenders and allegations of corruption. After him came Ria Pihega. She was a social worker. She had no police experience. And in the end, she actually lied under oath uh, with the Marikana situation in South Africa we had. Now, if those are the police commissioners, they corrupt, they are incompetent. What do you expect of the rest of the members? And I immediately want to say there are still very good men and women in the police services in South Africa who worked very hard and fighting crime. But the problem lies with the commissioner. And what happened is Jackie Salebi, for instance, he disbanded all the specialized units in the police. Now, if you destructed all these matters and issues and the destruction which took place in the police services, say over a period of 15 years, you cannot rebuild it in a couple of a year. It will take time. Mm. We have, the last two commissioners were experienced uh, police people. For instance, uh, the present one, Massimola, He's an experience, about 34, 35 years experience as policeman. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, the interference from political side is too much. 
the municipal police back in Sele, he was a former commissioner in 2011, as I've mentioned, had no experience, but now he wants to be the minister and the commissioner. And he's interfering. And I said it openly. I said, the commissioner at this stage, as far as I'm concerned, is only a lab dog of the minister. We need specialized people. Part of that is the corruption in the police. It's enormous. That brings me to the other part of the criminal justice system. And that is, for instance, you have a docket. Firstly, it's poor police work. So to find someone guilty on the evidence in the docket is sometimes very difficult mm. because of improper investigation. Thirdly, then corruption comes in. Certain documents disappear in the docket uh, or the docket itself disappear. Uh, then we go to the Justice Department. Then you have your prosecutors. There are many prosecutors who are corrupt. They ensure that documents just disappear. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's actually a vicious circle that's taking place. And that's why I said that the criminal justice system is broken down. If we can go back to police again, let's take forensics. The backlog on forensic examples at this moment in South Africa is between 100 and 150,000. The backlog. I don't talk about, that's a backlog. Now, you can just imagine, why is there a backlog? Simple issues, like for instance, you have a measuring instrument uh, in the laboratory. It must be serviced. They didn't pay the service provider. The tender, they had to buy new equipment. But because of corruption, they only want certain people to provide it. Mm -hmm. And it is substandard products. So it gives you a picture. Mm -hmm. It's an, really an enormous problem. How do you fix it? How do you eat an elephant? You eat it piece by piece. At one stage, and that's what the Freedom Front Plus is saying. And we also used the, the slogan in our last local government uh, election. We said stop the decay. So the first step is to stop the decay. And you will have to stop it by means of ensuring that people who are corrupt must be removed. You have to ensure that you have professional, qualified people doing the job. And then it comes back to impunity. If someone, there must be consequential management, let me put it that way. If you don't have it, then it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to break it down again. So that's a way to go when, for instance, you ask what's our solution, take it step by step. The first thing is that you must ensure that those in charge, like for instance the Commissioner of Police, if I can use that, mm -hmm. it must be ensured that that person is doing his or her job. But then we go even further, but that's more future music. That's why we say, for instance, that the police powers must be they must be devolved and a devolution of power back to the provinces. I personally believe strongly in a system where the specific province, for instance, elect their provincial commissioner of police. It must be, a, it's not only everyone, it must be a qualified police person. But every five years, let the people decide. 
whether this police commissioner did his or her job and then they can re-elect someone else if they want to. Mm -hmm. That's a way to fix it. But it's a long way. Firstly, you have to ensure that the national government will devolve those powers. Uh, but that is one example of how you can start solving problems. Yeah, because I, I think I'm, I'm really with you in the, the devolution of police powers uh, to the state level. It doesn't seem to me to make much sense that crime, which is a unique instance every time it happens, you know, the, the circumstances of every crime are unique to what happened in that instance. How is a national government going to be able to deal effectively deal with all of the different manifestations of crime throughout the country. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, <clears throat> but to move us then to the other side of the criminal industry, as I say, um, is what is happening inside of government. You've, you've laid out quite a, a lot um, about uh, the criminal justice system, how it needs to be fixed, and one of the key issues there is to find and charge people with corruption and at least, at the very least, remove them from any sort of position of influence. Um, but how then will you go about reducing systemic corruption in the entire public service? Because it's not just the police, it's, not, it's, it's really everywhere. It's st the state has been captured and we're still trying to wrest it back um, as normal South African citizens. So how will you go about reducing systemic corruption? Well, firstly, I will ensure that there is consequential punishment. Mm. That's the first thing. So each and everyone, doesn't matter in which department, if he or she committed a crime, say corruption, then they must know that they will be punished for that. Mm. That's the first thing. The second thing is that if you have qualified people then they will be in a position to identify and expose those corruption and the wrongdoings in a specific department. Mm. So thirdly, and I'm coming back again to affirmative action, and that's what I mean if you have to, you have to do away with it. But then you will also have to establish it integrity you must ensure that you have people with integrity because if you have integrity then you will be honest mm -hmm. then you will ensure that you want also to deliver a service to the public because that is what it is a civil servant with integrity why is he or she a, a civil servant is to serve the people mm -hmm. doesn't matter which department so coming back to the values of the freedom front plus it all are intertwined with all the whole effort to fix South Africa. Mm. And then, of course, we will have to show that the money, for instance, budgeted for specific departments or whatever the case may be, that they are used in a proper way. Mm. There are many municipalities, for instance, in South Africa. They have the money, but they don't know how to spend it. They have to give it back to Treasury because of incompetency. Mm -hmm. Coming back to affirmative action again. So there are many times when people say, oh, but we don't have the money. Yes, we have financial problems in Treasury, but there are also a lot of projects, 
especially, and I can use examples for infrastructure, for instance, where roads are built. Let me give you the example. If you have a national road and it goes through a, a city or a town, mm. normally what they do is they delegate the uh, maintenance of that road to the municipality. But the national, Sunroll, South African National Road Agency, they allocate money to that to to ensure that there is maintenance on the road. But what does the municipality do? They use that money for something else. It's the same when it comes to electricity. People pay for their bills, their services like electricity or water. They take that money and they use it for something else. They are in such a state where they have to use that money to pay salaries because they have too many people. Mm. Uh, appointed. So, to put it in a nutshell, you will have to ensure that you have people with integrity, you will have to ensure that you get rid of the bad apples, and you will have to ensure that they spend the money for the purpose it's supposed to be. If you only do those simple things, then I can assure you, you will going to have a healthier can I say a government system in this sense of civil servants working for it? You're going to have better infrastructure. You're going to have better service delivery. That's what you're going to have. And um, how does the VF Plus hold its members accountable? Um, because you know this is an important question. Assuming that there is growth and that the VF Plus does have more access to levers of power, how do you guys keep? How do you keep your members accountable? Well, firstly. You must remember, if you say the members, mm. we must just separate, if you're, for instance, a uh, councillor, mm. a political representative. Yeah. Uh, by that, we have a specific, uh, can I say, uh, way of ensuring that when they become candidates, there's a screening process mm -hmm. to ensure, for instance, we want to know whether they have any criminal record or anything like that. If they have a criminal record, they must come and explain, depends what it is. I mean, if it's a traffic t ticket, then you can say, okay. But I mean, uh, if it was safe, uh, then we won't accept a person like that. Mm. So there's a screening process as far as that is concerned. And then they have to have annual reports mm. to see, for instance, how many council meetings uh, they attend. What did they do, for instance, to ensure service delivery for the elector, mm. and that uh, is then uh, a part of a sort of an evaluation. But if, for instance, they did something wrong, then we will immediately remove them as members. And then you must remember legislation in South Africa is the moment you're not a member of a political party anymore, if you were elected in that position by that elected uh, uh, political party then you cannot be a councillor or a member of parliament. Mm. Uh, then you also lose your membership of that specific uh, legislature. So that is one way to ensure that. We have, of course, our own disciplinary codes and uh, can I say all comply with that. Mm. Uh, uh, some ethics they have to comply to. Uh, so that is part of our system to ensure that you have quality people, and of course to be sure that they are qualified for the job. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean, for instance, that you have to be a PhD or whatever, but are you capable, 
for that specific position to do the job. Mm. And I must say that we are quite fortunate. Um, I think if you look at the caucuses, although we only have uh, fewer than others, the average uh, educational uh, qualifications of one of the highest uh, in uh, Parliament mm. at this moment in terms of qualifications. So I'm going to move us into a section. I've been with you for a lot of uh, your solutions um, now, but I want to, to talk about some of the criticisms that often get leveled at the VF Plus. Um, and the first one I talk, want to talk to you about um, is that uh, you obviously have, the VF Plus obviously has a connection to the Conservative Party um, from the apartheid system. And you have come out and said already that you have no interest whatsoever in bringing apartheid back. Um, but I have not been able to find uh, an instance in where you've gone so far as to outright condemn apartheid. And why is that? Well, firstly, why do you have to condemn something to ensure your credibility? Firstly, then I must go back into the history. And I said, well, I never heard that the Queen condemned the Anglo-Boer War, where they took women and children in concentration camps, uh, where 37,000 of them died because of that. My view on this is, I've said it numerous times, I don't want to go back to apartheid. Mm. That is that. I was never, I never ever in my life voted for the Nationalist Party. Mm. So, and we must also, if we talk about apartheid, we must remember, apartheid was not invented by the Afrikaner. In 1995, Rose Parks, in the United States of America, and it's a well-known case, she was on a bus. Apartheid in the United States in 1955 was that black Americans are not allowed to sit on the seats in the bus. That was 1955. You must always judge history in the context of its time. Apartheid is gone. So the fact of the matter is, I personally grew up on a farm. At one stage I became cheeky with the black man uh, at the farm. And my father almost gave me a hiding because of my cheekiness. Because you must have respect. So I personally grew up with respect towards other people in South Africa, especially blacks. And I can honestly say, openly, mm. for instance, my best friend was a black boy. His name was also, his name was Pete. The fact of the matter is, I didn't do anything wrong, or which I am ashamed of, to say that I've mistreated black people in South Africa or any other. It was a system. And I didn't create that system. It's as simple as that. And, um well then, I, I think I want to talk just a little bit more about this because one of the, the quotes that I, I have seen you say um, in the public forum is that uh, you use the preamble to our constitution. You say that you don't believe that the ANC acts to unite us in our diversity. But another aspect of the first line is that we recognize the injustices of our past. So could we at least agree that they, that it was an unjust system. Of course. Okay. That's no problem. I mean, uh, if we go back to apartheid again, 
it's a, again an injustice system. There's no doubt about it. The only difference is that it took South Africa a bit longer than the United States of America to get rid of that injustice system. There's no, there's no doubt about that. But at the moment, if you go to China, you will find more injustice uh, than in the past. So I always say that we must be fair uh, when we talk about systems. There are many unjust systems at present in the world. And I don't see all the condemnation that should be there. Mm -hmm. uh, so they take, to take the history of South Africa, yes, it's part of that. And, and that's why the system is not there anymore because of unjust system before that time. But again, judge it in the context of its time. And um, <clears throat> another um, kind of aspect of the VF Plus which kind of perplexed me was that the previous leader, um, Mr. Mulder, um, was a part of Jacob Zuma's cabinet. So why um, was he willing to be a part of the cabinet? Well, firstly, he was not part of the cabinet. If you go and look at the constitution, you will find that deputy ministers are not part of the cabinet. Right, yeah, right. So he was not part of the cabinet. He was a deputy minister. I personally supported the move because, firstly, the ANC at that stage had 63% majority in the National Assembly. They didn't need the vote of the Freedom Front Plus to get legislation or anything through in Parliament. They didn't need us. That was a gesture from Zuma to say the farming community must have an ear to government. Mm. And I supported the appointment of the Deputy Minister of Agriculture. And the fact is that he could and he well represented the farming communities. Mm. Before he accepted the position, he had preconditions. Firstly, he said that he will differ from the government still in Parliament if it's necessary. So Zuma knew that before the... And, and we wrote a, a letter on that matter mm. to say these are the preconditions. So he has the right to differ. He doesn't attend ANC rallies or anything like that. Thirdly, we said that, and he said it, that he does not work on Sundays. He goes to church <laughs> on those days. Fourthly, we said that he can withdraw and he can actually say that he's not going to continue. Mm. And those were the preconditions. But the most important, and, and the perception uh, people wants to create is that we were in a coalition with the ANC. We were never in a coalition because they didn't need us. Mm. That was purely to have representation of the farming community and Zuma at that stage he knew that the farming community is most important for South Africa. We have to ensure food security in South Africa. And in fact, all the different agricultural unions, we contacted them and said, what is your meaning? Or what, how do you see it? How do you feel about the fact that 
Zuma wants to appoint Dr. Mulder. Mm. And they said, well, they will blame him if he does not take up the position. And I can assure you, he did a good job on that. Mm. In fact, he ensured that almost some, I know some of the unions on a monthly basis had a meeting with the Minister of Agriculture where they could put their problems on the table. But just remember one thing, that if you go read the Constitution, Deputy Ministers are not part of the Cabinet. Sorry, that was my, definitely my mistake. Um, <clears throat> so I think I've got a, a last kind of critical question here, um, and it's a two-pronged thing. Um, so you have been uh, in coalitions uh, across the country now, um, and one of the things that uh, we've seen now with um, what's just happened in Johannesburg is that when you have a large amount of small political parties, smaller political parties coming together, there is a, an instability that comes with that and the coalition can almost break apart at any second, it seemed, as Johannesburg proved. Um, and so why is it that it's worth um, risking the kind of risking the vote for the VF plus when in, instead of going for one of the bigger existing opposition parties and then the alongside that what separates uh, your party from the rest of the opposition okay firstly if we look at coalitions uh, we always said that the electoral system of South Africa one of the strongest features of a proportional representing uh, electoral system is that it forms coalition governments. Mm. It's not like a constituency electoral system where you actually have a two-party dominance. Yeah. So we said from the start, and when I say from the start, even from the 90s, we said that is going to happen in South Africa. Mm. So we were never against coalition governments. Mm. When you refer, for instance, to Johannesburg, you must just understand that when the government was formed there after the election, the mayor, the deputy mayor and the speaker was not elected by a coalition government. It was a minority coalition afterwards. And in this sense, those positions were elected by the assistance of the EFF. So it was not people elected by a coalition. Mm -hmm. After that, it developed into a coalition government. Mm. So that is the history on that. I said in the Freedom Front Plus that we don't believe in minority coalition governments because it's too risky. Now you have to go and look at the history of South Africa. We're still actually a young democracy, although it's 30 years, but 30 years in a democracy is not very old. It's still a young democracy. The electorate of, in South Africa must still get used to coalition governments. Mm. Because one simple question they ask, well, if you're in a coalition government, why must I vote for you? Why can't we vote for the other party then? They still have to understand that if you as a party is part of a coalition, that you bring your values into that coalition. And that is bringing me to your answer. Why do we participate in this? We say that we can bring our values 
in such a coalition government. Mm. Now, first, I also must say that a nine-party coalition is very, very difficult. I personally, that's my personal point of view, is that it shouldn't be more than five. Mm. And there are many other coalition governments, for instance, in the Western Cape, where it is only the Freedom Front Plus and the Democratic Alliance who is in a coalition. And it's quite stable. Mm. So, to say that, well, Johannesburg is an example of a failure of coalitions is incorrect. Because there are many other coalition governments that is very successful. So, if you want to compare, you must compare apples with apples. Mm. But coming back to Johannesburg and all the other coalitions, let's take Tswane for instance. We brought in our values. To use one example, affirmative action. And you can go and look at the agreement, the coalition agreement. We said that people that is being appointed in certain positions must be fit and qualified for the position. We didn't use the word of no affirmative action. We actually described the qualification. Mm. And it is in the agreement. Even when it comes to black economic empowerment, we said that the suppliers must be suppliers who uh, comply to the standards and that is can deliver the best work and that also is affordable. Mm. It's in the coalition. So uh, we play, played a major role ensuring that those values are coming into coalition and that we will do again. For instance, if you go into a coalition on national level, we will bring in that and we will try to convince the other participants to ensure that we can comply to those values. So we're running a little low on time, um, so I'm going to, to quickly jump us um, to the prospect you mentioned, uh, the coalition on the national level, but the prospect of, um, of 2024. And I, I'm going to have to ask you to be a, a little quick and just give me your quick fire answers to this. Firstly, um, would you be willing to join a national coalition with the ANC in 2024? No. The EFF? No. What about the DA? Yes. And are there any other parties that you would happily have as coalition partners and any parties you would not? Well, as I've mentioned, we will no, not go into a coalition of the ANC or the EFF. And secondly, if we look at possible uh, coalition partners, it's a democratic alliance, it's an IF, uh, Encarta Freedom Party, it is an ACDP, uh, even Action SA. Uh, those are parties where we will feel that they will share the same values and certain principles, although not everything, but you must also remember that coalitions is about compromise. But we will be able to compromise uh, with a clear conscience to say that this should be the best interest of the electorate. And so thinking about 2024, in short, my last question is, why should people vote for the VF Plus? They should vote for the Freedom Front Plus, firstly for their values, to ensure that we can bring those values into a government because those values will be to the benefit of the electorate of South Africa. It's as simple as that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kunewald. It has been fantastic talking to you today. I see that you have a, 
have your eyes on the problems in South Africa and are trying your best to be able to plot a way forward. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you for the opportunity. We must talk about the problems in South Africa. It's not the quick solution, but I want to say again, we have to start to say stop the decay and then we will eat the elephant piece by piece. I hope so.